1: Up, everyone! Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 193. It's going to be a therapy session because the Yankees, with one win to go to get to the World Series, go to Houston, drop six and seven. We were hoping this was going to be a celebratory podcast, Scott. Not so much.
2: Yeah, it didn't work out so well. <laughs> the uh, The road blunders of this team reared their ugly head in a very big and horrible timed way, and the Yankees couldn't get out of their own way offensively. And uh, just couldn't do a damn thing in Houston, and unfortunately the Astros picked it up, rolled their own momentum, starting in Game Six, and stayed hot throughout, and closed the deal. It was uh, it was tough to watch. It really was tough to watch. Um, but here we are. No no World Series, and uh, this like you said will be therapy in a ver- for both of us too, because I know we both had interesting weekends. So it was uh, <laughs> it will be a uh, this will this will be something that we'll talk about. The 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 good and the bad of the series. A lot of the bad over the last two games, and then hopefully at the end we'll circle back and take this thing full circle and 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 say what this season actually was moving forward. So there are still very good things.
1: Absolutely, you you we're look we're sitting here. We talked about Yankees baseball through Game Seven of the ALCS. That's unbelievable with where this team, how far this team came this season. Any Yankees fan, casual all the way to diehard, can recognize that. I just think it's a little much to be talking about it during Game 7 of the ALCS as they're losing 4 to nothing and are doing nothing offensively. I can talk about it later. Let me reflect on the season later. But can I just watch the team try and come back in this game now? That got me really pissed off. It it goes back to the whole just happy to be here, people. Once you're there, I want to win. I'm not... I'm not worried about what expectations were when you're in game six and game seven trying to clo- close out an ALCS. I don't want to talk about, I don't want to reflect at that point.
2: So I was, um, I 1000% I, I one, 1, agree with you. Uh, you and I were obviously talking about this beforehand about just the the way that people on Twitter are, are all, all of a sudden, you know, even after they see comeback after comeback after comeback after fighting. Uh, just pronounce the team dead at the end. I mean, yeah, no, it did not look like they were going to come back. It did not. But I'm, Any, I, anyone could see that. I, I but... can't sit there and talk about what a great position we're in right now because you know what? I'm in the moment. I, I'm I'm still like stupidly, you know, grasping on hope. And I, I get that it's naive and, and just like complete fandom at that point. But whatever, it is what it is. I'm still there. I could barely tweet on on uh, Saturday night for Game Seven. One, I had a, a whole bunch of family at my house, which made my Viewing experience, very different, let's just say that. And um, I, I, so I couldn't really like get into Twitter, unfortunately, on that. And it, cause it was, I was just very focused. Uh, I had anxiety levels very high. And then you go to the end of the game and, and, you know, there's, there's like the fetus attitude about, oh, awesome, peaches and, and, uh, and rainbows and lollipops. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not there yet. I can't be there yet. I cannot it's be there It's a coping yet. mechanism. It was a coping it is, mechanism. And people mechanism cope for people. differently. I get it.
1: Yeah, they're they were trying to put a positive spin as they were depressed, just like the rest of us. But, but like you said, I'm still holding out hope that this team, which has come back countless times this season, yeah, granted, a lot of those have been at home, but they have also done some pretty remarkable things on the road. Even though their road record was a game under 500 this year, and what what did their final final um, playoff run? Uh, they only won that one game the five one game. on the road. Yeah, could have been could have been a game another game they should have won. Game two of the ALDS, but. Had they won that game, they wouldn't have won Game Five. So it's one win on the road in what was it?
2: Um, seven chances, a lot of chances, many chances, and yeah, it's just the uh, it's the problem is for me is like the emotional like changing flipping the switch so fast. I just can't do that. I can't do it. I'm I'm so I'm so invested when I'm watching this, like emotionally invested in watching this and. Um, I'm literally on the edge of my seat or I'm, or I'm pacing or whatever. I always make sure I have a seat where I can get up and walk around if I need to. I, I have to have that option. And I just can't flip the switch that fast. So, I mean, I guess I, I know other people have different things, and obviously everybody's different, but I just uh, I can't subscribe to that method.
1: I think a lot of people were doing it because it was a slow burn type of game where you could see the writing on the wall. CeCe didn't have it early in game seven. He was laboring Astros kept it was three to nothing when or four to nothing at one point in that game. It felt like it could have been ten to nothing. The Yankees were doing nothing offensively, so it was a slow burn. It wasn't like a game where you have it won or you have it uh, a lead late in that game where it's tied and then all of a sudden, boom, something terrible happens and you have your heart ripped out. This was just like a slow cut. They the Astros slowly chipped away at our hearts, and that's why I think people once it got to the seventh inning and they saw it's unlikely the Yankees are going to do anything here. Let me let me try and cope.
2: Yeah, and I get it, and and I think that um, it was it was a uh, you could tell. I mean, you can always kind of tell the flow of a game, and I mean, gr- granted, there are chan- there are times that, that you're completely shocked, and, and people and teams will come back, and the Yankees have come back in, in moments that you thought they were completely dead. I mean, completely dead, and didn't feel like there are even some of these comebacks where we we felt something coming, like the wild card game down three. Like, I mean, I know it was early, but we 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 there was zero worry in our like in our minds, like I knew they were going to come back. I just, I knew to my bones. Um, when McCann hit that double in my head, I'm like, Ooh, I, 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 at that point I'm like, this is, it's just like a sign. Like McCann's hitting that double, driving in a couple runs and now it's four. That's a lot. That's yeah, a slap lot.
1: in the face. And yeah. I, t- I tweeted it and some people were, were saying it's a, it's, It's the easy thing to say about the Yankees paying about five and a half million bucks of Brian McCann's contract for this year and next year for him to have massive hits. He had a massive double in game six and a massive RBI double in game seven against them. Yeah, I understand it might be the easy thing to say, but it's more about the irony and and it's a slap in the face.
2: I'm not, I don't think it's a slap in the face. I think it's more ironic in the fact that he's the guy that beat you. But slap in the face. Yeah, I don't it know.
1: makes it oh, it's slap in the face in the sense that it's a, it's extra salt on the wound. Not only is the guy hitting a massive double off of you, but oh yeah, he's cash and checks from Steinbrenner still.
2: Yeah. See, I don't even care about the money. Honestly, the money, there's so much money out there floating around from the Steinbrenners that that are that are in other people's clubhouses that it, that doesn't affect me. It's just that the fact that he was one of our guys that we traded away. And it just, it just shows you how, how fast they turned this thing around because- yeah. No, in no realm of any possibility did anybody think the Yankees would be in a position in Game 7 in ALCS for Brian McCann, who we just traded away because we were building this thing back up, to burn us in that situation. I mean, that, that, that scenario was never addressed. So, also,
1: I think important important thing, to, because people were saying, all oh, the obviously, reactionary fans immediately, oh, the Yankees never should have traded Brian McCann. They should have made him his DH. McCann asked for a trade. Because he was not going to be the catcher, Barry Sanchez catch. was going to be a was going to be the catcher. Brian
2: McCann asked to be traded, there, and there was something in his contract, right? We went through this one during that time there was some stipulation of uh, there was an yes, innings, he needs to catch ninety games X amount of innings or in, uh, games, yeah, ninety for,
1: games to get a, an option picked up. And right. not only did he want to catch for that option to pick up, but he he, he wanted to he catch like everyone else. He but he like everyone else thought the Yankees were going to suck, and he didn't want to play for a shitty team. Yeah, well, that didn't. I, I don't happen, think. It, I don't think it was that.
2: I think that. I think that he wanted to catch. Saw the writing on the wall. And if you're a DH and you're not hitting, you could be replaced pretty quick. If you're a catcher, yeah. it's it's a little harder to replace you. You're you're, a, you're McCann, a lot more of an important player if you're the actual starting catcher.
1: McCann also isn't a good enough hitter to just be a DH. Right.
2: He's a good hitting catcher. He's not a great hitter. Yeah, anyway, he was, um, the, he, there, was, uh, there was an option to go to Houston, w- who was obviously a very good young team. It was a, a good opportunity for him to catch yeah. full-time. So I don't see it as a slap in the face. I just see it as ironic in the sense that he was our guy that we traded him away. It, it kind of goes back to the situation with Andrew Miller in the ALDS. Like, There's no possible way anybody in the Yankees brass or fans are, are seeing this situation unfold as Andrew Miller is now standing between us and the ALCS the next year. It's just, it's just not the situation that anybody saw.
1: So let's take it back to after the Yankees game five. They had that unbelievable comeback in game four. It was, it was an honestly an amazing three games at Yankee Stadium. The comparisons to the 2001 World Series, I know everyone was making them, but they're very, very spot on comparisons where the home team dominated and the Yankees in the three games they played at home were, were so memorable. Despite the fact that the Yankees lost this ALCS, I think those games at Yankee Stadium, because of the crowd, because of the comeback in Game 4, finally beating Dallas Keuchel, I think those were memorable games, and that's why everyone was riding so high. We honestly thought the Yankees were going to the World Series. Maybe it was going to be Game 7, maybe it was going to be Game <laughs> 6, but you and I and a lot of other people thought the Yankees were going to close this thing out. That's how good, that's how much momentum they had coming out of Game 5.
2: Yeah, and that's how much it shows that they are a different team when they play at home and then when they play on the road. The the I mean the differences between two thousand and one and now I've, the obviously there was a, a giant national catastrophe that had happened for that, so there was a different feeling in those three games. So it almost was like a, a this is how it's supposed to be type thing. Whereas this year it was well this this feeling has been gone for a long time and now it's back and it's based on the the guys on the field who are playing at a above the level that they were supposed to play. And this is all like, okay, now we're, now we're back. This team is, is, uh, has a, a ridiculous feeling around it. And the people are coming back and the people are being loud. And nobody wants to get out of their seats to get a beer or a hot dog or whatever because something big might happen. And when you have something like that go down and you have a, a situation where everybody wants to be in their seats, then you have that incredibly electric atmosphere. And that's what we felt in those game three those three games. And the team fed off of it. So yeah, we come out of that. We're thinking, okay... We're going to win one of these two games. This team is too good right now. They're playing on such a high level right now. How can they not win one of these next two games? And probably game six because they're on so, such a high level. And that just didn't happen because baseball could get shut down by that guy, Justin Verlander, or player, whatever your name is, that if, you're, if he pitches a phenomenal game that day, and then the next team has the momentum. It's crazy how it changes so quickly.
1: You said, I think, at the top of the show that we're we 're watching a team that just has not learned to play on the road yet they're a young team they were a game under five hundred this re- the regular season on the road. they had a horrible record in the playoffs on the road. Their offense scored three runs in four games in houston that 's not it 's not like they 're playing in a gigantic pitcher friendly park either that 's a hitter 's park, yeah, center field might be deep, but you can score runs in that ballpark and you should be able to score runs off Charlie Morton. They scored 7 runs off Charlie Morton in game 3. He was pitching game 7. You you should score runs off of him. Fine, you get shut down by Justin Verlander or Dallas Keuchel, that's understandable. But Charlie Morton, Lance McCullers, these these mediocre pitchers, I'm not going to call them bums, but they're they're mediocre to to slightly above average
2: pitchers. I mean, I think Lance McCullers is a little bit, a little bit more has a, gets a little bit more credit than that. I mean, okay, uh, he had a 4.25 ERA. This yeah, but season. he was also injured. He was a different pitcher. When that guy's fully healthy, he's a very good pitcher and one of their top pitchers and one of the better one of the better pitchers in the American League when he's completely healthy. But I completely agree with Morton. What is he? 33 years old. He's like a journeyman. This guy should not be coming in and, and doing the things he's doing, um, especially after you've seen him or a couple you know a couple games before that and you put up a seven spot on him. So. The game. I don't know what the game plan was uh, that was so different against Charlie Morton, or or how much better he could have really been executing his pitches. But um, you know, maybe well, that the game plan. Maybe that's the maybe that's the home field advantage, and maybe that's how these guys get amped up so much at home. And just the this, the feelings not there when they're on the road. They they don't you know they don't play at the same level. I don't I don't know if that's like an intensity thing, or a preparation thing. I, I don't know what it is, but it's it's something that they all need to uh, to uh, you know. Uh, identify and then address this com- it's a common thing with young teams i think yeah i think, and so I think
1: too. They'll, they'll they're gonna have to get better at it and if they want to play at home next postseason win more games in the regular season Right? Because Houston won 101 games. The Yankees won 91 games. That's a 10-game difference. So you're going to have to win close to 100 games if you want home field advantage in the playoffs. Maybe the Yankees will be equipped going into next season to be a 100-win team, but they clearly were not a 100-win team this year, and that's why they're on the road in in a key Game 6 and a key Game 7. Um and as far as the game plan goes against Charlie Morton, it was obvious that they were being aggressive. They swung yeah. at so many early pitches in Game 7. What was his pitch count through four innings? It was like 44 pitches or something crazy? It was very and low. Yeah, barely threw any pitches. At what point in that game were the Yankees going to say, hey, it's been one time through the lineup. It's been one and a half times through the lineup. And this, this approach on Charlie Morton clearly is not working. Let's try and do something different.
2: Yeah, the the adjustment in the middle of the game, or in the middle of even when Charlie Morton was pitching, didn't happen, and they just couldn't get the bats off of uh, off their shoulders to to get anything. It felt like there was no big hit. There needed to be a big hit, you know, when there were runners on, and it just never happened. It never happened. The lead if it happened, they got thrown out at the freaking plate, or they got thrown out at the plate on a on a unbelievable play. Uh, and a slow freaking runner again.
1: <laughs> God. He was thrown out. Bird was thrown out twice at in Houston in this series. Game two, game seven. That throw by Bregman last night. It was the only spot that throw could be where they could have he, tagged. He
2: threw it at the foot. Right in front of the foot.
1: Yeah. I, I actually and people are complaining that it's a bad slide by Greg Bird. How is he, his back is to the ball? How does he know where the throw is gonna throw is gonna be? Yeah, he slid into the ball because that's where the ball happened to be thrown. If you want to get on Greg Bird, just say he's a terrible base runner and a slow base runner, which is true. But don't don't complain about the slide. Like I hate when you nitpick on things that are that are out of a player's control.
2: Well, I mean, it, it, there, a lot of people will go. Uh, to home plate automatically knowing that the catcher can't stand in front of the plate that they have to stand on the inside of the plate So you slide to the outside of the bag and you or the plate and you use your hand That's I, i'm sure that's what a lot of people are saying And I mean that does make sense because you're putting more space between you and the catcher because you know damn well He can't be in the line So you're actually creating that lane of uh, of a space where he will have to reach over and tag you so that I mean that does make sense when you're sliding into that holes. makes sense. Not many other not many other places does it make sense because the um, a guy could be standing behind the bag or on top of the bag. Catcher can't be. Catcher's got to be in the field of play. Um, but the um, when you're when you're looking at when you're looking at that play, it's just you know it was just ridiculous timing. The the ball got to there exactly. At the, and uh, the the most frustrating thing for me, and I don't know how many people how many how many other people saw this live. I thought he was safe. I thought the ball came out. When I saw uh, when I saw the live, I saw the ball or his uh, McCann's glove go back. And I guess I saw the top of the ball because it was like kind of snow coned in there. And uh, I thought the ball was loose and I started going nuts. And I was like <laughs> I was like looking or I wasn't even looking at the TV like I was celebrating extremely loudly and, and violently. And then everybody, people in my room were like, he's out. He's I'm like, what are you talking about? He's out. The ball got away, and then obviously the ball didn't get away. So um, that was a very that's a tough very, realization. That was a very low moment for me, me personally, <laughs> at that time, uh, because I thought he was safe. But yeah,
1: it's just another example of things going Houston's way. That play went Houston's way. The um the strike zone went went Houston's way. I, I'm not one to complain about the umpires, but I think the umpires in this series uh, it's should not be- just the
2: series, man. It was all playoffs. I mean. Uh, we've said this a hundred times with this little uh, this little bumper ahead of it. No, not that it's the umpires' fault, but but for real, like the umpires were terribly inconsistent. They were bad, All very bad. Playoffs. It was that low strike and that outside strike was so inconsistent. I don't care if you call a low strike. I don't care if you call an outside strike or an inside strike. Just call it the whole time. Don't be calling yeah. it every other pitch or every other half inning or whatever. And it wasn't just the Yankees. It was both sides. It's just it was just. I can't stand that type of umpire game.
1: My my general sense on the umpires is that the long run it'll even out because I think umpires make mistakes on both sides. So then by the time a season ends or the by the time a series ends, it probably well, guess what I don't give a shit about teams. the
2: series the, the evening out at that moment. <laughs> exactly I'm in it, that
1: know? moment in Game Seven and you're seeing pitches go Houston's way and not go the Yankees way. It's extremely frustrating and it's it's impossible to watch because all I want to do is throw my freaking beer bottle through the TV
2: at yeah, that point. Yeah, at one point I said that I wanted to fight Joe Buck on Twitter because I was so angry. and I was just so mad, and and he was just making comments that were just like Captain Obvious comments, like he was doing the whole time. And those are the ones that I can't stand. The he, was most. he was
1: horrible. He was horrible. this was this series. horrible. And like, who really who cares about what the announcer? Honestly, is? But when you're watching John him seven was nights in a row. Too. John when you're was watching, freaking horrible. Yeah, when you're watching them seven seven games in a row, it, it just it's another thing to be annoyed about.
2: Yes, and we lost, so of course it's going to be more annoying.
1: <laughs> and then you get the plays like out in center field with George Springer ignoring his left fielder, calling off the ball, falling down, but greatest catcher of the of
2: playoffs. Shut <laughs> up, Joe Buck. I, you, I'm on, I wanted to jump through the screen right there. After Aaron Judges just made a ridiculous catch at the wall, like an unbelievable catch, where he it seemed like he soared through the air and stole a home run. <laughs> he on. was he was
1: about fifteen feet above the wall in a couple of those pictures. That that was the way it made it look. He made it look like that wall was three feet high. That's how high he jumped.
2: It looked like he was he was like um, not not flying but hovering. You know, yep. like in some of the superhero movies or whatever, you see like a string, or like the old uh, super Superman movies. Before he even flies, he just kind of hovers, or just starts to go up. That's what it looked like he was doing. It Looked like he just like had boosters on the bottom of his feet, and he was just hovering over the over about fifteen feet of ground. It was ridiculous. And it's,
1: it's sad because that's going to be a forgotten catch. Yeah. That was a, 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 At the time, it kept the game scoreless. CC Sabathia was getting hit around. He robs a home run, and it's still 0-0 in Game 7 of the ALCS. If the Yankees win that game, that is a play that is on highlight loop after highlight loop. Probably goes into, into the future Aaron Judge Yankeeography Probably still will. It will. But, but the reality is that that play is going to be a forgotten play. Yeah, it's Much the Roger like Davis people, home run. Or, or the Andy Chavez catch from 2006 that people were talking about after Judge made that catch, it was a great play, and it was it was it was so funny because he didn't he didn't make the play in Game Two on Correa where uh, he couldn't get over to the wall fast enough. Then he makes the unbelievable catch in Yankee Stadium, I believe that was Game Three, and then he gets another shot at it in Houston. and does not disappoint. Goes up, robs a home run, slams into the wall. His glove is over the wall, and he doesn't drop the ball. It was an all around un. Unbelievable catch by Judge, who had a great series. The, the batting average, I think, only was 250, but he had, a, what was it, four home runs,
2: three home runs? He was the big, only, he was one of the big, one of the only was, offensive threats. He had
1: a ton of RBIs, led the comeback in game four, making plays in the outfield. He, he got them back into the game in game six. I thought that maybe if D. rob doesn't come in and vomit all over the mound, maybe the Yankees come back against Giles in that game. So Judge had a good series. Can't can't complain about Aaron Judge. Can't really complain about Greg Bird's offense either. I mean his his running is a problem, but, but yeah, his offense he's
2: just slow. I mean let's just not send him very often.
1: <laughs> Those are the two guys though, Bird and Judge. They had good series. Everyone else was either inconsistent or just bad.
2: Yeah, Gary Sanchez looked. Um, I mean he, he looked besides the you know, the um, the the outburst he saw at at Yankee Stadium. And the go-ahead was,
1: double in Game Four was his only, and that big was,
2: hit. and that was, yeah. I was gonna say it's very, uh, very few and far between. But he was pretty damn bad. And how many balls are gonna bounce in front of him uh, on a throw to home plate that he cannot catch? <laughs> All of them. Every one of them, hundred percent, unbelievable. <laughs> Did you see
1: the last one last night? Yes, in, uh, in Game Seven. Yeah, that was the that was the cherry on the shit pie. Just the run was gonna score no matter there, what. There was no I doubt was the run McCann's was scoring, double. but, but catching the ball. It was just, couldn't catch the ball again.
2: I started yelling at the TV about Gary Sanchez not catching the ball after the run scored, even though I had nothing to do with I think
1: it's—is it. he taking his eye off of it? Like I he's think he's go, trying he's, to tag. He, too he's early. trying to tag the guy, but he's moving his glove too quickly. Yeah, it's like, it like clanks up off. Of his, it just clanks off of his glove.
2: Yeah, it—it it, it hits the it hits the heel of his glove. He's not seeing the ball into the glove, and he's turning upfield before he catches the ball. Classic, classic. Uh, you know, getting ahead of yourself, and that's that's what he yeah. did. The first he did he did that in. Um, uh, in game two, clearly, I mean, he was definitely like motioning towards the bag or towards the uh, the line without the ball. So
1: he uh, he was also swinging at so many bad pitches. I've never seen Sanchez swing at so many bad pitches.
2: Yeah, and I just I don't understand. It's it's the same game plan from every pitcher, and it looked like Judge made his adjustments, and he was really laying off a lot of those pitches. And in fact, he was fouling some of them off too that were close. Uh, but Gary Sanchez never made that adjustment. He just never made the adjustment and and the pitchers because they threw the, the both of those guys very similarly. They would uh, they were trying to um, throw up and in and low and, and low and away and low and away and low and away and low and away. And until they stopped chasing him, they were going to do it. And Judge stopped chasing. So that's when he started getting balls to hit and he made them pay.
1: Yeah, San- Sanchez never stopped. And uh other guys who had terrible series. Brett Gardner was only on base five times in the whole series. He had some long at bats, but didn't really do much other than that. Did Aaron Hicks even play in the series? Because I can't remember him doing one thing.
2: He was he was bad. He definitely um he uh he pe- he peeled up on a on a on a ball that he should have caught that everybody blamed Starlin Castro for. He did that. Uh, he walked two times. I think he was what two for twenty four. Sanchez 5 for 25 with a walk, 8 strikeouts. I mean you look the consistent numbers when you're seeing these guys who struggled. Castro <laughs> struggled uh, and Fraser struggled. But Gardner 9 strikeouts, Hicks 8 strikeouts, Sanchez 8 strikeouts, Castro 8 strikeouts. Judge, I guarantee, had a lot of strikeouts too. I don't have the number of Well, He set done. a
1: record. He set a record for yeah. a, a single playoffs. But, but who cares? But he has the production. Who cares? He has he the, has the production. production. He has the he has the home runs, the extra base hits, and he has he had the big hits in the ALCS. To me,
2: to me, I mean, even Sanchez can have a higher strikeout total, but guys like Gardner, Hicks, and Castro cannot.
1: No. Castro cannot Castro, be striking out that much. Castro potentially had the worst series because he also had a couple boneheaded plays in the in the field.
2: Yes. He's the goat. I mean, people are going to be Calling for his head. All, Castro all was season. already,
1: as we know, Castro already did not have a ton of fans. People thought that he is overrated, that he swings it too many bad. A number of different things of Castro's flaws in his game, which we do recognize. We still think that he is a pretty solid player. Uh, he was an all-star this year, and then he got hurt, and his season kind of derailed from there. But he was terrible in, in this entire playoffs. He was terrible, except for the first two games in Cleveland. Other than those first two games in Cleveland, he was dog shit.
2: Yeah, he was bad. He had a really bad postseason. There's no doubt about it. I still think he's a, a a team, a part of this team that can that can definitely go into the future. You don't have to have freaking all stars at every single position. Even though he is an all star, of that's, course he can be on this team. Of course he can be. I, a I think he's a he's a very team. valuable part. I mean, he's he's controlled for a little while too, is it he not? He's what next twenty two years? twenty twenty? I, th- I believe yeah. through twenty twenty. So next three years, yeah. And then Todd
1: Frazier had the big three-run homer in game three and then almost had the big three-run home run against Justin Verlander to tie the game, just hit it to, to Houston's death part. valley. Yeah, I think it, the the wall says 409, but is seems more like 490 because the Yankees hit so many balls in this series deep to center field that I thought had a chance to not only go or at least get over the outfielder's head. It's just a deep fly ball to the warning track.
2: Well, and you also even see uh, um, the double that Frazier hit that was, uh, that got caught in the netting. That was, uh, that was, you know, on any, any other place, it's a home run, but the wall's high there, too. Not only is it deep, but it's a high wall that, that swallows home runs. So you got to hit that thing a, a solid, like 420 to get it out. And you got to hit it up. It better be up in the air. So very you, odd stadium. You got to smoke the ball to, to center field to get it out. It's so short down the left
1: field line. It, it's got that short porch. They tried to emulate Fenway Park almost with the green monster. It's not quite as high. And then right field, you get the, a two-foot wall out there that seems pretty short down the right field line because there are a couple of balls that look like... I mean, Correa's home run in the, sec- in the second game, I thought, was off the end of the bat, and it, like maybe it's a, it's a warning track shot, and that thing gets out. So it's short down the lines, and then just keeps going out straight to center field. So it's a very kind of frustrating park to to play in
2: yeah i guess when you actually just made the comparison to fenway though it's actually pretty similar in the sense that fenway also has that that weird cutout in center field and the high wall and then goes down the the right field line with a short wall there's actually a lot of very similar similarities with the outfield to uh to what they did there
1: yeah um going back to game six we it was a severino verlander rematch from game two Severino was fine through the first few innings, but then he got himself into trouble. Walked Brian, uh, or excuse me, walked two guys, and then gives up a double to Brian McCann. And then I thought Girardi made a mistake
2: leaving him in to face Jose Altuve. I, I agree with you. And the most frustrating thing to me is that everybody in the in the plant on the planet Earth knew damn well that you do not throw anything to Altuve because he's swinging at the first pitch. He's he's. He's been doing it all year. He's been doing it his career. You know he's an aggressive first ball hitter. Don't throw him a freaking strike. And that's exactly what happened. Throw it was a bad a strike. strike too.
1: It was, it was a, a spinning, spinning slider in the middle of the plate, which I understand was not supposed to be the pitch, but did, don't, even, don't even screw around.
2: No, you don't mess with it. You, you, have to, you have to use his aggressiveness against him in that moment and, and try to you know, throw something that you know damn well you can, you can control and throw right. it out of the zone.
1: Bury it, bury the slider down or something because he that was that made it three to nothing in the game. Judge comes back with the home run late in that game, and you think, okay, the Yankees are into Houston's bullpen, it's Giles trying to get a a save in a two run game. I felt pretty confident if the Yankees kept that at three to one. D Robb comes in and allows Houston, who only had three hits to that point in the game, to just batter him around. That changed a lot of things, I think, with Houston got momentum late in that Game 6, carried it into Game 7. Something happened in that eighth inning that changed a lot of things in this series.
2: Well, I mean, I think also that the the Yankees lost, uh, missed a lot of opportunities against Verlander at the end because he was clearly gassed. You could see it all over his face. He was he almost had a sense of panic on his face in the sense that, like, I don't have my stuff totally when you zoom in. Like, you could just read the um, the language that he was showing. He's like, I'm, you could tell that he was battling through it, but you could tell that he was gassed and, and almost out of it. Uh, and he hadn't thrown as many pitches at that point, but you could tell that the, um, the, the second start had really, or the first start of the series had really uh, taxed him at, when you got to, I think he was at like 75 pitches, right, towards the end? 70 to yeah. 75 pitches. And they just missed opportunities with Gary Sanchez swinging on that 3 three zero count with a horrible, 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 horrible end of that at bat. Check swing into a ground out. Just, just a uh, you know an absolute gut wrenching play because you're taking such momentum out of that. When you could see that this guy was uh, back against his wall. You have another good hitter with a good matchup. It was just that one to so me. That was the at bat that took the life out.
1: Would you have? Sent him. Would, excuse me, Would you have turned him
2: loose on three zero? No, not on three zero. Not with. Uh, not with. Was Greg, Greg Bird was behind him? Right. Greg I, Bird
1: was coming up, but don't you? Don't you? When you turn somebody loose on three zero, that does not mean they
2: have to swing. I don't. I have no problem if if you were if you were to groove a fastball and they gave Gary Sanchez the three zero on a, on a fastball count and he saw identified fastball and he put a good swing on that. If that was the the pitch that, then I think I'd be fine with it. But that wasn't the case. Uh, he was undisciplined and. It was a uh, it was a breaking ball that he tried to check his swing. I don't know why he got <laughs> it was fooled. Horrible. He got fooled by the ball. Like I, I said um, uh, on Twitter during that play, I said that the Verlander pulled the string. I thought it was a changeup at first because it was such a tight uh, tight spinning. It looked like it was it ended up being a slider. I think it was that, that just uh, leaked over the plate. But when I saw it first, I thought it was a, a changeup because it was it was definitely spinning um, extremely tight. It almost looked like a fastball. And I think Gary Sanchez got fooled with it too, thinking that it was a fastball. I mean, obviously he did, but. You just got to be more disciplined at that point
1: that's on gary sanchez i don't I don't mind the the call to let him swing three and o be aggressive there I mean you're hoping Gary sanchez hits one four, hits one four hundred feet on three and o, but you got to know who's
2: on deck too you got to know who's that, on but deck.
1: You, but Gary Sanchez is a good enough hitter to where he shouldn't be checking his swing and being fooled on a 3-0 pitch. 3-0 pitch, you're looking for a fastball in a certain spot in the plate, and you're going to mash it. If you're not getting that pitch, you just look at it and then do the same thing on 3-1. Gary Sanchez was way too aggressive, yeah. not disciplined at all. And you're absolutely right. That changed, that changed momentum. That was the sixth inning. Seventh inning, then the Yankees still got to Justin Verlander. He was still laboring, throwing on fumes. And that's when Frazier hit the ball deep to center field.
2: Yeah, and he did get fooled, and that's on him in the sense that he didn't identify the pitch because he thought it was a fastball. When he started yeah. that swing, he thought it was a fastball, and and at some point when you know triggering those hands and getting ready and starting to starting the process of a swing, he realized that oh, that not a fastball, and he tried to pull it back and he just couldn't do it.
1: Game seven, the uh, the fairy tale run for Sabathia finally ended. He did not have his stuff in game seven. He still battled, he still got kept them in the game. It was 1 to nothing after the Gattis home run and he was pitching into that game and I'm like how the hell is it only 1 to nothing? It seems like it would be 5 to nothing Houston. Canely comes in, gets a huge double play to keep it at 1 to nothing. Then that ne- that very next inning, Greg Bird leads, leads off with a double, advances to third. That's when he ends up getting thrown out at the plate. So Anytime the Yankees almost had momentum in the game, in game six and seven, it immediately got stolen away. I keep saying the word momentum. I'm annoying myself saying the word momentum, but in these playoffs, in playoff games,
2: it's such a huge factor. I feel like, especially in an individual game too, especially if you're on the road and you have an opportunity to potentially take a crowd out of it. We saw what happened in Cleveland when the Yankees were able to take the crowd out of the game, even for, even for, you know, in the beginning for a, a short moment, it's, it's it's important because what it does is it creates a, a sense of doubt, a sense of desperation in the atmosphere. And when that happens, then you you could get the home teams start pressing, and you just don't know what can happen from then. The crowd absolutely matters, and if the Yankees are able to strike at that point, get a big hit, um, at, at very least get bird in from there, you just th- things can go very different from then on. You just don't know how the the rest of the game can can happen. But they got out of it, and then I thought to me, uh, like I said earlier. The dagger for me was um, was when McCann hit that double because even a 2-0, zero, I'm like, I even tweeted it out. And I said, "Canley, keep this a two zero, keep this a two zero, and and I'm, and we're good. Keep it a two zero. Can't can't get past that at this point. And then McCann, like literally like thirty seconds if that after that, um, hits a two run double and uh, and and to me broke the game open at 4 That's a that's a tough that's a tough spot to come from on the road at that point.
1: That was a mistake to leave Canley in for McCann. I even tweeted it out before the at bat. I said I would not leave Canley in to face McCann. You have everyone available. I don't know why he was still what in are the you, game. Why are you trying to stretch Canely at that point? He was already in his second inning of work. Clearly, he was not as sharp. He was throwing a lot of change-ups. He wasn't locating his fastball. Go to a lefty in that situation. Bring in Oroldis Chapman. I don't care what inning it is. It's game seven. You can't give up any more runs. Why and, is he extending uh, Tommy Canley?
2: No, at that moment, you're right. You needed the fire extinguisher. Because as soon as you see a home run off of Canely, uh, there's there's a there's a slight there's a little bit of doubt when Altuve hits that home run to me you got to take him out it there's no room for error anymore it doesn't matter there's no room for error you you go and you empty the bullpen it it, everybody's available I don't I don't give a I don't give a shit every single person is available even if they're on fumes at the end of the at the end of the game you start going and you start unloading that bullpen I I just didn't understand why he decided to go with Canely look I I think at that at that point um You know, it is a big moment in the game. Still got to score runs. Obviously, the Yankees didn't do that. The offense is what really let them down at the end of the day um, in Houston. But, you know, if we're looking back and nitpicking on certain decisions, I think that that was clearly circled as one of them.
1: Right. Didn't matter, like you just said. Didn't matter. The Yankees scored three runs in four games in Houston. So that's what everyone's going to be talking about. It wasn't the pitching in this series. It was the inconsistent Yankees offense, where at home they look like a juggernaut, and on the road they look like a Little League team
2: yeah it's just such a shame too, because there's no happy medium if only they could find a way to just get get those get those bats going on the road you know I think that's gonna be the big thing is situational hitting situational hitting in this off season and you know working on um plate discipline I, I think to when you're looking at two thousand eighteen that's gonna be one of the biggest factors of of this young team moving forward is them maturing at the plate being able to go um You know, long at bats, having good at bats over with good pitchers, guys, especially that you've seen multiple times, and on the road. I mean, that's so important that they are able to take that uh, that edge off by scoring earlier. Shit, scoring on the road at all, (laughs) like just having good at bats, having a good offensive game plan. Because individually, it didn't look like there were a lot of offensive game plans. I thought Judge was was the was clearly the one that made the the adjustments on the Yankees team. Um, I thought bird was pretty good all throughout. So I don't know about the adjustments on the road. I think he just played his game throughout. Um, but there were a lot of guys that needed to make adjustments that didn't.
1: Do you think it was a moment is too big type of thing? Or do you just think that on the road, the Yankees are a different team? And they haven't figured out how to play on the road yet.
2: I, I just think they got caught with their pants down. I think they ran into uh, a team in, in Houston. One, this team we know is, is damn good. Uh, they, they have been in the situation where the Yankees are currently, they They've lost in the playoffs. They know what that tastes like. And I just felt like at that moment they played better and wanted it more and were playing in front of their home crowd and that just carried over and and carried through. And and their approach was was better. And they just never they never left their foot off the gas, it seemed like at home. Like they just they would always put out that fire. And and it never never really spread.
1: Yeah, the Astros were Someone tweeted us after you and I talked about how the offense for the Astros is a much different animal at home than it is on the road. And someone said that their numbers on the road this year offensively are actually much better. And I went and looked at it and realized they are drastically better on the road, which I was surprised about. But at least in this series and in the playoffs for the Astros— they put together much tougher at-bats at home than they do on the road. They went down so quickly at Yankee Stadium. you got to give the Yankees pitchers credit for that. But also, they were overmatched at Yankee Stadium, I think, by the crowd, by the whole atmosphere. Dallas Keuchel, after Game 5, said the, the crowd was absolutely a factor. So once they got back home, they were putting together tougher at-bats. CC Sabathia, Luis Severino, these guys were laboring to just get through a couple innings, whereas Tanaka, Sonny Gray, and Sabathia at home we're fine. They were breezing
2: through this lineup. I think that the playoff crowd is, is a very uh, underrated thing everywhere, and not just Yankee Stadium. I mean, we're, we're all gushing about how Yankee Stadium was because it was such a drastic difference to, to the last time we had seen a playoff game at Yankee Stadium in 2015 to this year and how the the, um, the Bronx was just rocking. Pandemonium, pandemonium. But the, um, the crowd in Houston was loud, and they were relentless. They were good the whole time, it seemed like. It felt like that watching it on television at least. So I really do believe that when you're uh, at home and, you're, and your crowd is, is going nuts for you and, and you're, they're putting the pressure on the opposing team, you know, those little things can make you uh, not as sharp. They can, you know, depending on the, the type of person you are, whether you can bottle that up and use it as, as uh, fuel or it just, it just puts a little bit more of the nerves on. You know, to me, it's a big difference. And when you're, when you're trying to grind out at bats and when you're putting out um, um, at, like good at bats at home, you can absolutely ride that momentum as an offensive team. And we saw how the Yankees did it. And off, I think the crowd for Houston compared to the regular season to the postseason, totally different crowd, totally different crowd. And obviously the Houston Astros rode that momentum and they were very difficult. They were, they look like a totally different offensive team at home throughout the playoffs.
1: The good thing for us as fans and, and Yankees as players is that next season in the Bronx is going to be fun. We have a lot to look forward to next year. I think that at this point, you and I talked through all of the, the shitty things that happened in Houston. We can start to move on and look forward to this offseason, which now we're no longer just trying to build for the future. I mean, we're, we are still trying to build for the future, but also this team can win now. They can win the World Series in 2018. So all of the moves they make this offseason, we have to be thinking about how does this affect them? How does this make them better and a better team to win the World Series next year? And that's fun. That's going to be a lot of fun this offseason.
2: Yeah, definitely. Because there's, there's also a lot of uh, of things that I think that are uncertain moving forward as far as players and, and different battles you're going to see in spring training and what's going to happen with the pitching staff? Cause you know, damn well, Tanaka's is out there out. CC's already talking about, that's one thing we didn't talk about in the uh, post game in game seven. CC saying that, Hey, this is, this is where I want to be. I want to finish this thing. I, I have a home here. I, I've, you know, I want to um, see this thing through. And we knew that we knew that he wanted to play, uh, but he had never come out and said, this is where I want to play. I want to play in New York. We assumed it. We kind of um, surmised that, but he had never actually said it. And, and he clearly went out and said that this is the place I want to be. So um, I have zero doubt that the Yankees and CC Sabathia will, will, will work out a deal um, that is uh, good for the both of them. Uh, but Tanaka, after the way he pitched in the playoffs and the way he pitched down the stretch, that's a guy that the Yankees are going to have to seriously look at for uh, a new contract now because he's going to opt out. He is probably as high as he possibly could be at this moment in time because of mm-hmm. what he showed in the postseason.
1: It's going to be very interesting because all – Last week, Cashman was talking about how the Yankees' goal for 2018 is still to get under the luxury tax. So they're not going to just go and buy a bunch of free agents and resign all of their players to mega deals. They're still trying to get under the luxury tax because that is the way, that is how they still think they can build a, their next dynasty, is reset their payroll so then they can start adding more money. So if Tanaka opts out, which I agree with you, I think he's going to, They might not be willing to pay him more money than they're already paying him. Maybe they'll just extend him
2: years, but they're not going to pay him more. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what the. I have to look at the numbers again to see where we are with the taxes, uh, with the with the um, the luxury tax. Uh, I know we have a bunch of uh, numbers coming off the books. A Rod is a giant contract that's coming off the books. CC's money will probably go down uh, for per year. Yeah, he's
1: not going to get twenty two or whatever he's making. So you're you're, you're, you're right. So you're cut seeing that in spice. yeah, you're seeing
2: some areas where they can actually uh, spend possibly a little bit more because they have so many controllable players at good contracts or rookie deals at this point you know they're they're really in a in a good position to um to go out and and potentially I, again we got to look at the numbers and we'll spend a lot of time on on breaking down this luxury tax and you know seeing where they are and and looking at potential moves and things like that so there's obviously a whole bunch of time uh to get into that but i don't know the, with the way that Tanaka showed how he could pitch at the end of the season they're uh, i have a hard time i have a hard time seeing them w- him, let him walk away especially when you look at the free agent market and you see what pitchers are available and you see what they got it's going to be tough because they, they know that they can win now. They know that they can win right now, and their position players are good enough, so, and they know that their bullpen's good enough. So they, they need to make sure that the rotation is stable.
1: Yeah, it's just a question of how much risk do they want to extend with Tanaka, knowing that he still is pitching with a partially torn UCL. So it clearly is not affecting his performance, but it still could at any moment. So you don't want to sign him for a five-year contract, and you're sitting there with a guy who can't pitch paying them 26 million dollars they don't want to do that they're not stupid business people
2: oh they're just they just let a rod go on tv making how much 30 million that was that was one of the best decisions they've ever made (laughs) i know but they still give him the contract uh, the first time Ten years ago. Well, I'm just saying it still happened. The bottom line is, I, I I think that they're gonna they're gonna see the risk reward of where this team is right now. And again, we could start we could get off on a tangent right now and talk for another hour about this shit. But we will dedicate uh, shows to this as well. But they could absolutely they're gonna they're gonna see the rest of this team, and they've already done this. They know what they know what's there. They know some of the the high impact players that are either coming back from injury in the minor leagues or on the cusp of. Uh, of, you know, ready to um, contribute a la Clint Frazier, these guys are ready to go now. So they have to solidify that pitching staff because that's the only question mark. That's the only one. And they have a lot uh, of things that that have gotten uh, more clear with the, you know, when they got Sonny Gray, uh, with the emergence of Severino and Sabathia, you know, assuming he comes back. Montgomery, Montgomery's going Montgomery, to be in his yeah. second season. See, see, I'm even forgetting about Montgomery. But Not going
1: like, to have inning limits on, on Montgomery and all that kind of stuff. And then you, who knows who the next Jordan Montgomery will be? There's a lot of pitchers in this organization: Chance Adams, Justice Sheffield, no who doubt. will be, who could be that Jordan Montgomery of next season that gives them a surprising 25 starts.
2: But you also have to look around, and you have to look around at your competition, and you have to see what they're doing and ha- and who they have at the top. When you look at uh, Boston with Chris Sale and David Price at the top. You look at um, at uh, Houston. What was Verlander's contract? Is he a free agent, or is he no? Under he's one more he's
1: still. That's the big thing for Houston. They took on a lot of money with Verlander.
2: Okay, so he's there for a couple more years. So Verlander's there, Keuchel's there, and then if McCullers is back healthy, I mean, that's a three hundred monster. That's that's uh, that's pretty damn good. So you got to look around at the teams that are that are right there as well. Um, <laughs> We've we about cl- Cleveland, and, yeah. and then <laughs> Cleveland with Kluber and uh, and freaking uh, Drone Boy and uh, and Carrasco. Um, there's, so there's a lot of competition you've got to make sure that the top of your staff is very much solidified for for these yeah. series, so yeah i don't know it'll be interesting it'll be very interesting and then you probably have to compete with the Dodgers, who could probably offer Tanaka a stupid amount of money.
1: God, I hope the Dodgers win the World Series, yeah because you know they, i just don't you know they're I don't go see. After like like we talked about going into this season how um into this series how we or I at least said I didn't really hate Cleveland that much, but I really do hate the Astros that that played out because I hate the Astros big time. And maybe it's just the dick sucking of Joe Buck on Jose Altuve for seven straight games, but I just can't stand these players.
2: Yeah. um, I I think uh, the pitchers are the ones that bothered me. Uh, Dallas Keuchel is, is, is one of my, one of my least favorite players at this point. I've never not liked Verlander. I have, different scenarios. I mean, I've, I've seen his career ever since college, so I got no problems with him. I just think he's a gamer. Um, but yeah, Dallas Keuchel, I cannot stand. I I hate his, I hate his beard. I hate his face. I hate everything about him. I really do.
1: Um, one bit of information that maybe everyone listening doesn't know we do this podcast every week in the off season. Every Monday, this podcast will be released. We won't be every day, unfortunately, like it's been over the last few weeks. Um, but we still do this podcast every week in the off season, which means there's a lot of time to talk about everything as things happen, as the hot stove heats up, Scott and I break everything down. We did it all last winter in an off season that w- is not, was not nearly as fun as we're hoping this off season is going to be. So I'm looking forward to the podcast going forward. Um, we did it. In in a, ma- we
2: did it in a season where there were, there were zero, uh, free agents picked up two years ago and there were zero yeah, free agents picked up.
1: People traded away. That's what we talked about. Yeah.
2: So there's, there's been downtimes, but no, yeah, the mailbags are a big sit- uh, You guys are, are, are very involved in the off season as well. Cause we want to talk about what you want to hear about too. So.
1: Right. Um, Send us mailbag questions yeah. at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. Tweet us at Yankees podcast at Andrew underscore Rotonde and at Scott Ryan. And I also just want to say thanks for everyone who listened throughout the, the season throughout the playoffs and a bunch of people last night on Twitter were saying thank you to both Scott and I for making their season more enjoyable. And, that is just awesome to hear to read those tweets pouring in after the Yankees just lost the game seven and people say, giving us a shout out for saying that we made their season more enjoyable might be the nicest thing anyone 's ever said to me
2: <laughs> yeah no doubt it's uh it 's awesome when you hear that people appreciate what you do, so um obviously we we all appreciate everything uh all the listeners uh you guys are one. We do this because we love the Yankees. We also do this because we're huge fans and we like interacting with other people and other fans. Um, and, uh, and and so the involvement – and I think this year we've taken another – We've this podcast has gone to another level uh, with, uh, with audience involvement too, which I love. That's kind of how Andrew and I always envisioned it. And I think we're at a point now where we're going to just continue that more and we're always open to more ideas about how to um, – Um, how to increase that voicemails will probably not be as prevalent in the off season. Uh, I'm sure after big news or something like that, we'll, you know, we'll open up the voicemail lines and put them on, but there just won't be as many. So uh, definitely shoot your mailbags in. If you have questions, uh, anything about that mailbags are going to be big part of the off season show. And then, you know, we'll, we'll break down positions and we'll do all that fun stuff and talk about whatever. We might spend a couple minutes on uh on, on ranting about football occasionally. I mean, we, we kind of, we talk 95% Yankees and there's like sometimes 5% of whatever else just because, um, you know, we get sometimes limited conversations are happening in the off season, but usually and it'll year... also
1: give us a chance to get some more guests on.
2: Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah. We, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the times when we started getting all these guests, we started getting a lot more players on in the off season too. And I know they will be a lot more available in the off season. So we will certainly focus on, uh, on that.
1: Final thing I have to say is that we are at 595 ratings on the podcast on iTunes. My goal was 600 by the end of the playoffs. So close. Thank you guys for, for rating and reviewing the podcast. If you have not done it yet, even if you just picked it up in the ALDS or the ALCS, go over to iTunes, give us a rating and review. It helps the show out immensely. Um, we'll be back next, next Monday with a new episode. So, so keep subscribed and all that good stuff. Scott, any last words?
2: No, it was just a fun season. It really was an enjoyable season. I think that was. Uh, obviously, we all know this is this has uh, been ahead of schedule from what we all expected. So, um, yeah, now that we're looking back on it, icing on the cake, it, it sucked. It was a, a, a frustrating end of the season. But you know, if you don't win the whole World Series, everybody else goes home frustrated, right? So, that that happens. Um, but I thought it was an awesome season, a lot of fun, and uh, again, truly a, a big thank you to everybody who listens and reads the the website and hangs out with us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And let us so again, thank you very much. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep.
3: I must be out before I pick up the phone. Where could I be? <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm not home. What's up? It's Joe from Florida. Hey Justin Verlander, you fucking wanna beat Ben Affleck, motherfucker? I hope the first pitch of Game Six, you take a line drive right to the nuts. Let's go Yankees, number twenty-eight. This is Tommy from Tampa. I don't know what kind of fucking ride we're on right now, but holy shit, I'm so happy to be doing this. I love every second of this. hope... Whatever happens, I don't even, I don't even know anymore. I don't even know. I don't know what year I'm having all the attack,
4: but I sure know what month. Thank you guys so much. This is Jason from Indiana, and I don't want to be hindsight 2020 after the game, so I'm calling in the middle of the game. Severino, he should have been pulled by Girardi before Altuve got to the plate. End of discussion.
3: Why is Gary Sanchez swinging at a 3-0 pitch? Like you learn that in little league, not to swing at a 3-0 pitch, ever. Garrett from California here. This game is just super frustrating. I don't know who to blame, who to yell at, but they're not playing anywhere close to what I expect them to be playing at right now. The Astros are going to come back in Game Seven, being one of the most motivated teams I have seen in a while. Yankees better step up, or else they're not, they're not going to advance. I'm super frustrated. They, be- they better have the hitting, they better have the pitching. At least I'm taller than Jose Atube. What's <laughs> up, so Tim Stryvers? from Syracuse. Um, nothing really to rant or rave about here. Just the simple fact. In four road games, they scored three goal runs. Um, they not going to win like that. Anyway, just to take a uh, 30,000 foot of the whole thing. I want the Yankees to watch the uh, Bastards reviews Houston celebrate. And use that to motivate them through the off season. Keep grinding. Don't get uh, complacent. I'm looking at you, Sanchez. Uh, for a cautionary tale to look across the Queens to the Mets, they thought they were all set up for the future two years ago, and there would have opportunities close shut. Well, being that there's a the Mets, that could be uh, the overwhelming factor there, but uh, anyway, still uh, still upset about the loss, but overall uh, it was a great season. I- uh, sorry, you told me before the year to take uh, Game 7 in the LCS, so I'll sign up for that in the So I'm going to go eat my feelings. All right, take it easy. Bye. Hey, this is Miles Bismarck. You know, I'm proud of my Yankees. It was a great season, a great postseason. But, I mean, come on. This is Charlie Moore and Lance McCullers. This wasn't Verlander and Keiko or Kluber or Andrew Miller or anything like that. That was some of the worst at bats, some of the worst swings. I mean, come on! It was all curveballs. You knew what was coming. Most of them weren't in the zone. It was just a pathetic display of swing. I wouldn't even call it hitting. It was just swing. Anyway, it was a good season. Not the best game, but it was a good series. Better luck next time. Starting to up right now after this game seven loss but looking back on the season been a Yankees fan a long time but this is the first year that I've had MLB TV and been able to watch you know most of the games and it's been one hell of a ride and thank you Andrew and Scott for uh, keeping up on this journey as Yankees fans and to everyone else out there especially in the same boat as me we got an exciting future, a lot of baseball to come. Let's go, March 29th, 2018, baby. Andrew, Scott, okay, I am... This is Chris from Toronto. I'm, I've had a few beers. I'm fucking pissed off about Game 7, but um, you know what? Honestly, the boys had a good year. They weren't expected to make anything. Buster Only had them as the only team making the wild card out of the ESPN's crew. It's a good year, but... Uh, I mean, they should have taken game six and seven, there's no question about it. Um, you know, there are pitches that should have been hit, there were plays that should have been made, but that is baseball season, and honestly, that's how the game's played. But uh, definitely next year, I feel like this team is primed for a, uh, a good run, and I hope we can make that. Uh, Scott, Andrew, I'll hear you guys from the summer. Uh, love the podcast, have a good day, and uh, go
4: Yankees, let's go. Hi, hey, Sandy from England. I'm not a bad loser, but Jose 2 got you fucking little munchkin, all you do is moan, moan, moan. you're a great player, but all you do is fucking grizzle and whine like a little squinny kid. No good man, no good. Those who are really, get beat by the Dodgers. <laughs> what a wanker. Sorry for the swear words, but there you go. You anyway. all do anyway. You're all that up Anyway, and another thing, and another thing. joe has got to stay, because he's still like... You don't want to get someone else and you've got to have chemistry, he knows how to uh, react to these boys, he makes the safe, but he's got to stay. Aaron Judge, hero, one of, one of the legends, gonna be great. Gary Sanchez, learn to catch the fucking ball when it comes to the plate, and you'll be fine. Great hitter though. Greg Burns, legend. you're gonna only boost things, pump the things up next year. Next year's gonna be our year, we're gonna win it all next year. The future's bright, not a great way to end the season, but hey, that's the way to go. We're going, to be, we're going to be brilliant. We're going to be brilliant. We're going to have our holidays in the sun, like the Texas Pistols. It's going to be our year next year. Thanks for a great show, boys, for, for the season. as Hughes, Loplin's during your season That's me out, till March. over and out.
2: Love you all, Pete, Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.